0: You're in Micah chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Yeah. All right. Micah chapter, one in verse, uh, chapter 6 in verse 1 says this. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me, for I have brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to curse you, but how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. What can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offering should we give him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray over our time in the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that your word is awesome and powerful, living and true. Uh, we thank you for what you already have done this morning. Lord, in first service and in this service during worship, uh, during our time of, of just glorifying you, we thank you for your presence and your power and your healing that I believe is taking place here today. Now, Lord, open up our spiritual eyes and ears and hearts to receive your word and the grace to apply it to our lives. Lord, help me to rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, let Uh, Give me clear words and and clear direction, Lord. And I pray uh, against any distraction and any hindrance of the enemy. I bind up the enemy right now. In Jesus' name, we take authority over the service and declare no weapon formed against us shall prosper nor succeed. We thank you in believing for a great harvest. And I got a fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold to come forth from this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this passage of scripture, the Lord was, ha, had brought out Israel out of Egypt and preserved them and blessed them throughout uh, their journey to the promised land. Uh, this trip bears witness to God's uh, covenant faithfulness. Now, I know many of us in here today can relate to this, right? As just, you know, we talked about Thanksgiving on Wednesday night, how it should be Thanksgiving for the Christians should be every day, right? Right. Uh, How many of y'all can relate to what the Lord said to the children of Israel? The Lord has saved us and brought us out of our old lifestyle, right? Our our own modern day Egypt and preserved us. And how many of y'all can say the Lord has blessed you throughout this journey in life thus far? And he constantly shows us his faithfulness, right? The Lord is constantly showing how faithful and on time that he is. Well, in verse eight, a well known and often memorized verse, the Lord answers a series of questions put forth by a confused people who had lost their moral and spiritual uh, bearings. The people of Israel wanted to know what they can do to be acceptable to the Lord, what they can be do to be pleasing to Him. You know, He was saying that they had lost their way, that they had, you know, uh, uh, did all these things. And why are you tired of me? And so uh, the people responded by saying, "Well, well, what should we do? How can we please you? How can we can we do this, that, and the other?" You know, I believe it's the same It's true in our society and even in the church today that some people have lost their moral and spiritual bearings and want to know what's acceptable and what's pleasing to the Lord today. And I think some of this is also due to maybe the way we were brought up. Maybe you, were, you grew up in church in a different denomination and, and the, the ways you were taught to please the Lord, what was acceptable was different than what the Bible tells us. The Lord gave them a concrete answer and the answer is the same for us today, right? The Lord is not looking for a mechanical, religious, uh, uh, ritual way of, of, of serving Him. They were wanting to offer sacrifices and, and, and of, of animals, of olive oil, and even were, were introducing or wondering of a pagan way, a pagan practice of, of sacrificing their own children, uh, uh, to pay for the sins, uh, their own sins. How many of y'all know none of us can pay for our own sins? That's why Jesus had to die on the cross for us. None of that stuff is acceptable to the Lord. You know, just like today, just pastors, I mentioned it last week as well. You know, just some people think, well, man, as we were brought up, just going to church and coming to church is awesome, but going to church or maybe saying a token prayer here and there, giving some money, that's pleasing to the Lord. But the Lord lays it out. His desire is that his people do what is right in relationship with him and relationship with each other. That's what it all comes down to at the end of the day. You know, back to Israel now, you see in an oppressive, deceitful society, Israel had lost the sense of what the Lord regards as good. Again, I think this parallels us today. We live in an oppressive and deceitful society, and many people have lost the sense of what the Lord regards as good. You hear many different definitions of what's good nowadays. Is that right? Oh, brother, this is good. That's good. Or people say, well, man, no, this, this is okay. This is good. We love each other. This is, this is good because you know what? Uh, that, you know, people are, are, are have their own definitions of what's good. But what, what, what it says in the scriptures and Malachi 6, 8, he says, the Lord has told you what good, that word good means what is right in the Lord's eyes. That's what good is. That's what good always has been and what good is today. And what good always will be is what's right in God's eyes. So he tells us specifically what is good and what he requires. And Micah 6, 8, again, he says, do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So I want to take the rest of our time today to look at these three things closer and how we can apply them to our lives. So number one, he says to do what is right. We get that phrase what, uh, what is right from the Hebrew word mishpat, and it's often translated justice. Some of your translations might say do justly or act justly. This is the treatment of others in a fair, non-manipulative, non-oppressive way. The Lord's people shouldn't manipulate or oppress others, but do what is right, just, and honest towards one another. Would you agree with that? That's what it means to do what it's right, to, to live justly. So let's, let's take a little personal inventory. I often like to do this. And I want you to ask yourself, but really more importantly, ask the Lord to, to answer these questions honestly. Do you deal with others in fairness? Do you manipulate people or situations to get your own way? Do you oppress people that you think are less than you? Maybe people from another race. Or someone who doesn't have the same views as you? You know, sometimes we think of oppression as like of a whole society, a whole people. But, you know, I begin to think about this. I saw a lot of oppression going on during the election time. How about you? People can oppress others with their views and with their opinions that are not exactly lined up with one another. Are you honest with people? With your spouse, with your friends, with your employer, with your coworker, with the IRS, etc. Right? Are you honest when you fill out that tax form at the end of the year or the beginning of the year? That's what it means to live justly. To love justice. And actually the scripture also says to promote justice. Not only should we live this way, but we should promote this. But again, the best way we can promote something is by doing it, right? Instead of just telling people, it's by showing people, this is how I live. That's the best way you can promote justice is by living this way. Now, you may hear this list and say, well, you know what, Brandon, I'm good. You may think you're good, and maybe you are. And, I mean, obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. uh, But sometimes we think we're doing good until the Lord puts his finger on something according to his standard. Because again, like it says in Romans, that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. So what happens is, is that I can compare myself to another person across the church or across town and say, man, I'm doing good compared to him. I'm doing good compared to her. But when we compare ourselves to God's standard, we realize sometimes we're not doing as good as we think. We're not living as justly as we think. And so the Lord wants to put his finger on those areas. And one of the ways he does that, one of the main ways he does that is through his word. Why it's so important to be in God's word daily. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. It says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. And what does it do? Teach us to do what is right. The Word of God teaches us what justice is, what what it is to live justly, what it is to live in a non-oppressive, non-manipulating, honest way. The Word of God, again, is the standard. The Word of God sets the standard. If you're not sure what the standard of, of, of living right and justice is, it's in the Word of God. Remember, a lot of people have a skewed view of what Right is these days, but the scriptures make it clear what's just and right. And listen, this has not changed just because culture has changed, right? What is right is right according to God. And it just because the culture changes, just because people say that, you know, that's a, that's an outdated view. It doesn't change what's right according to the Lord, what's just, what's good is found in the Word of God. And the Bible says, Timothy says, All scripture, or Paul speaking to Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God. So again, I'll go a step further and say, well, if somebody says, well, brother, that's Old Testament. Well, he said all scripture is inspired by God. Are y'all following me? That's why even we take an Old Testament text like uh, Micah 6, and it applies to our lives today, right? Like I said, the picture of Egypt, God taking them out of Egypt in a journey to the promised land is a picture of us today. God took us out of our sinful slavery. We're on a journey uh, into this uh, this life, and I believe there's blessings and victory in this life, but eventually we're going to get to the ultimate promised land, which is heaven, amen? Old Testament is a picture of what's going on in our lives spiritually today, You know, there's been many times in my life personally where I think I'm doing good. I think I'm, things are going good. Or let me take it a step further. I don't know if you like me, but you ever, you ever do something and like in the moment, you kind of know it's wrong. Maybe it's the way you treated someone, the way you reacted to someone. And in the moment, you felt justified about it. He was like, yeah, that might have been a little harsh, but you know what? They needed to hear that. Is it just me or you've done that before too? Okay, so then later on, you sit down, you're spending time with the Lord, maybe you're reading your Bible, and you read something, you read one thing, and the Lord makes you realize, like, no, no, that that wasn't right, you know? Because why? The, the, the Bible says, Paul says even the scriptures of schoolmaster; it teaches us what's wrong and what's right in our lives. And you know, it, it, the word of God continues, the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to teach us what is right or what is justice, how to live rightly. I, you know, I just, I gave you the definition of those three main things, non manipulative, non-oppressive, honest, but a series of other things. You can probably break down justice throughout all three of those are the main categories and there might be some specifics in there, but the Lord calls He requires us to do what is right. Are y'all tracking with me today? Number two, he says to love mercy, to love mercy. You know, we all know the general term of what mercy means and mercy is like not getting what we deserve. Like we deserve the wrath of God, but because Jesus died on the cross, he extended mercy towards us. And so it's not getting what we deserve or maybe not, maybe not giving someone what they deserve. As a parent, you ever had your children where, you know, you think they deserved a spanking or a punishment, but in your mercy, like I said earlier, you know, I I got, you know, three little girls. So when one of my little girls, I think deserves a spanking, but they give me those eyes and they're like, daddy, I'm sorry. And it's like, okay, I extend mercy because my heart's melting right now, you know, right? We've all done that. We know what mercy means in a general term. But listen, with, with the Hebrew word, it's actually kies. It's, it means this. It's, it's, that's the general term. But this is interesting. It means a passionate, undeserved loyalty. Let me say that again. Mercy is a passionate, undeserved loyalty to someone. That's what the Lord said when he says to love mercy. To love someone in a passionate, uh, undeserving way that you remain loyal to them no matter what they've done, what they do to you, right? Let me read what another few other translations say. One translation says to show constant love, to embrace faithful love, love being kind to others. The Amplified Version says this, to love and diligently practice kindness or compassion. To love and diligently practice kindness and compassion. Not just around the holidays, right? You know, you see how the holidays have kind of been packaged like, oh, the season of joy and giving and all of that and stuff. Again, I thought about that this year. Isn't it funny? Like, now it's not even the day after, it's that night. Somebody said, you know, we celebrate Thanksgiving and all the things we're thankful for. And then the very next day or that night, people are running over each other to go get things that they want for Black Friday. Isn't that crazy? You know, it's like, oh, I'm thankful. But I, I saw a lady got, or my wife, was, a lady got arrested, I think, here in town because of some Black Friday craziness, you know? And it's like, no, the Lord is causing us to diligently uh, be merciful and kind and compassionate, not just around the holidays, but every day, right? One of the reasons why is because this is a defining quality in God's holy character, isn't it? Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. Man, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? You know, a lot of y'all probably at home right now have some leftover Thanksgiving food. Maybe not. It's been a few days. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe some of y'all eating turkey sandwiches for lunch. But isn't it awesome that the Lord doesn't have leftover mercies, right? They are fresh. They're brand new every single morning. So those of us that know the Lord should act the same way towards others, right? Not only should we do this because, you know what, it'll bless others to do what the Lord has required us to do, but it also blesses us, right? If we're merciful, Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. It's the kingdom principle of you reap what you sow, right? 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 You reap what you sow. I want to drive this point home uh, by, by looking at a couple more scriptures. James 2.13 says this, for judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now I want to look at a scripture, Matthew 6, where Jesus uh, is, is teaching. Matthew six thirty seven and 38 says this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, a lot of us have heard the scripture taught about giving. Give, and it will be given unto you. A lot of times you've heard... Pastors preach about giving, giving finances, giving. Look, I'll be honest, I've used this scripture, a part of this passage, in talking about giving. Hey man, whatever the amount you give will be given back. Sow a seed into the kingdom, tithing, offerings, all of that stuff. And it can be used for that principle because it's a principle of reaping and sowing. But let me ask you a question. Is this scripture talking about giving gifts or money? No, not at all. Matter of fact, I I thought it was that way for years until I heard a pastor unpack it years ago. And actually, in in a lot of translations, if you look it up, like in a few translations, in my Bible, in a few translations I looked up, actually the subtitle says, do not judge. It actually has nothing to do with giving gifts or money or any of the things at all. It's about judging, condemning, forgiving, and showing mercy to others. So now let's think about this. What is Jesus saying? He's saying in the measure that we judge and condemn people or forgive and be merciful to them, we are going to get it back, pressed down, shaken together and running over into our laps. Now, if you wasn't motivated before to be merciful, I hope this motivates you. Because when I think about judgment and criticalness being measured back to me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, I would rather mercy be poured out and running over in my lap than judgment and condemning. And cry. How about you, right? And so that's what he means. As you can see, again, the Old Testament, New Testament works together. The Lord says, love, mercy. Here's Jesus' teaching on not judging and extending forgiveness and love and mercy. Aren't you glad that the Lord is merciful to you? I know I am. And then let me ask this. Isn't it good when people are merciful to you? Like when you know like, man, I royally messed up and like whatever, you know, you I deserve whatever. And people are like, man, I extend mercy. I, I forgive you. You know, I begin to think about, you know, a couple of people in my, my life. You know, I heard somebody tell me years ago, first of all, that nobody will ever love you like Jesus and your mama. Isn't that right? So, you know, like my mom, when I think about the definition, passionate, undeserved loyalty, you know, my mom has, I've, you know, she has put up with me for 38 years now and a lot of stuff. And my mom's always showed that. The second person is sitting in the front row is my wife. My wife has shown me a passionate, undeserved loyalty. And believe me, those of us that are married, right, our spouses see the good, the bad, and the very ugly, right? Come on, somebody help me that's married in here. Isn't that right? And so I think about this as I think about all the times I've messed up and the times I've fallen short and still my wife has been merciful to me. Very passionately loyal and and, and I know I don't deserve it. Amen? So thank you, baby. You know, so... As, as we're glad when the Lord, I mean, if it wasn't for the Lord's mercy, we were all going to, we all going to end up condemned for eternity. But because of the Lord's mercy and his love, we get to walk in relationship with him and spend eternity with him. You know, so as we have received this mercy from the Lord and others, we must extend it to others. Listen, I, it's amazing how the Lord, is, as, as those of us that preach, the Lord always uh, has this lived these things out, usually right after, but in this case, it was in between. I had actually finished preparing this message Wednesday before I left the office. And over the, over the, it actually was Thanksgiving Day. Um, this has happened before. And so I'm going to just be honest with y'all and just kind of open. It. Is all right if I just confess a little bit this morning? You know, I was on social media and I saw a couple of things that I often do when I get on social media. And and it was, you know, people that I know, I I don't, you know, I actually don't know them personally. So let me say this. uh, There's nobody in this church that's here locally. But, you know, just Christians that are respected that I know are being used by the Lord. But I see them doing stuff and sometimes I think like, man, as a Christian you probably shouldn't be doing this. You probably shouldn't be going there. You probably, you know, and it just, and it, it bothers me and it grieves me, you know? And so after I even shared it with my wife and I was like, man, you know, seeing this, that, and the other. And, and so actually, you know, went outside and, uh, actually we had an untraditional Thanksgiving. I, I barbecued for Thanksgiving. I went outside and I was about to spark the pit and I just began to pray. And I'm like, Lord, cause I felt this, like this funk on me, like this burden. And I just said, Lord, help me to love other brothers and sisters, even when I don't agree with them. Help me to love them. And y'all, when I say immediately, I felt something lift off of me. I felt like I I, really, I felt like in that simple prayer, I had a breakthrough. And then it's like I was reminded of my message that I prepared. And like, you know what, Lord, what I was saying was help me to extend mercy to others. How many extend mercy? Because you know the truth is in just that moment, how many of y'all know if you've ever been critical or real judgmental of people, it doesn't feel good. You're kind of in a funk. You don't you know people that are always critical, are just like, man, you can't be happy. You can't because it just, it's it's not fun. And so I was asking the Lord, help me to to have undeserved loyalty to my other brothers and sisters. Because then I even thought, the truth is, I really, I didn't think, the Lord reminded me. The truth is, you know, I know as a believer that there's probably things that I do that other Christians might not agree with. And I'm thankful that they extend mercy to me. Right, So it's amazing how the Lord helped me to, to live this out in just a short couple of days from preparing to preaching today. So listen, y'all, the Lord has extended mercy to us. The Lord has called us to love mercy, not only extend, but to love to extend mercy to others. And, and listen, he's done that for us, so we need to be passionately uh, loving others and extending mercy to them as well. Amen? And then the third and final thing he says is to walk humbly. With your God. Micah 6, 8, that last part I want to read in the Amplified Version. It says this. And walk humbly with your God, setting aside any overblown sense of importance or self-righteousness. Ouch. (laughs) Setting aside any overblown sense of importance or self-righteousness. See, humility must characterize us as God's people. Let me say that again. Humility must characterize us as God's people. We must not live in a spirit of arrogance or self-privilege. About three people agree with that. You see, listen, justice and mercy are not compatible with human arrogance. In other words, you can't do the first two things unless you're walking in the third. Unless you're walking in humility. Humility. You won't be able to love justice and love mercy and extend these things unless you're walking humbly, key, with your God. The phrase walk or walk humbly with, this signifies a relationship. Again, the Lord's desire for us is to be in an ongoing intimate relationship with him. This kind of relationship with him transforms the way that we relate to others, right? Again, they're all connected. If we're humbly in an intimate relationship with the Lord and the Lord's transforming us to be more Christ-like, naturally the way we respond and react to other people is going to change. They all work together hand in hand. So it's not just, and I'm gonna read a couple scriptures on humble, but it's not just, you know, coming to the altar or praying in your prayer closet and humbling yourself one time. It's the constant walking relationship, humbling yourself before the Lord. And He begins to transform you. And then you begin to be transformed in how you react with other people. Now again, there's, that's gonna, that's gonna totally bless and help others around you. Your spouse, your coworkers, you know, people you have a hard time with, you know, if you begin to walk in humility. You know, because really the truth is I, nobody really likes being around a prideful person. Pride kind of has like a stench to it, right? Doesn't it? Like you just, when you have around a prideful person, it kind of just has a stench. And again, I've, I've been totally guilty myself. So let's look at not only the, the, the blessings of those around us, but the, the benefit of us staying humble as laid out. And this, again, this list is not exhaustive, but a few things that you see in the scriptures that will, you know, we get blessings in general. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the earth. Well, whatever they may be, you know, it, it, we can be blessed in so many ways in our marriage, our children, our health, our mind, our jobs. You know, I don't know about y'all, but I mean, I, I want to remain humble so I can be blessed, right? It also says that God will honor you, James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. It's one thing to be honored by people. It's another thing to be honored by the Lord. And that's what Paul encourages us in the New Testament is to continue to seek the honor of God, not the honor of men. Another thing, it says that we will be great in the kingdom of God. Jesus again in Matthew 184, said, "So anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven." It's totally opposite in the mindset of the world today. In order to be the greatest, you step on as many people as you can to get to the top, right? You blow everybody out of the water. Jesus said, "Hey, you remember the picture of that was those little kids were coming to Jesus, and the disciples were trying to get the kids off of him?" He's like, "No, no, no, let the little kids come to me." And he used them and said, because those that are humble like these little children, they're going to be the greatest. Not everybody else that's running around vying for a position and a name. It's humility. And again, walking humbly with the Lord, in relationship with the Lord. See, when you're in relationship with him, positions don't matter anymore. When you're in an intimate relationship and you have humility, positions don't matter. But it's amazing how I've seen over the years when people humble themselves, God honors them and promotes their position. Amen? Amen. The last thing I just want to point out, and which is probably my favorite thing, I always love this term, greater grace. Greater grace. Listen, James 4, 6 says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, listen, it, there's many different words. We know we're saved by grace through faith. Of, again, of mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. But there's different meanings for that word grace. And in this area, in this context, that word grace is like an empowerment. He says he gives you greater grace. Listen, grace, I always say this. You've, if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say this probably dozens of times. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the empowerment to keep you from sin. Amen. Grace is the empowerment to live in this kind of way. Grace empowers you to do what's right. Grace empowers you to live justly. Grace empowers for you to love mercy. Grace empowers you to be humble. So he says, "Listen, when we humble ourselves, it's a it's a it's a constant uh, a great cycle that goes on. The grace empowers us to live the kind of life that the Lord wants, and the hum- more humble we are, the more powerful we are." You see, again, it's a different mindset than the world system. The world system is the pro- powerful or prideful. But in the kingdom of God, the humble are powerful. The humble gets the greater grace. You know, we're, there's grace and there's greater grace. Again, theologically, I don't know what all that means, but it sounds great. Amen? I want greater. If there's more grace to be had for God to empower me to live a life that he's called me to live, then I want it. Amen? You think about some of the people, and I mean, I'm not just saying this, but those of you that I know him personally, our pastor is one of the most humble people I know. He really is. And, I mean, he—he Brother Francis, our founding pastor, I begin to think of some of the other men of God, great men of God that the world know of our time. One's Billy Graham and one's Dr. Cho in Seoul, South Korea. These are men of God that have, Billy Graham's, you know, has led millions to the Lord and so humble. I've heard him say, you know, years ago, they said, well, after all these years of ministry and all these people you spoke to, all the people that have gotten gotten saved under your ministry, uh, what, what have you learned through this? And you know what his answer was? The longer I live, the more I realize how much I need Jesus. Amen. That was his answer. Amen. That's the humility right there. And then Dr. Cho, uh, uh, Dr. Cho has a what at one time was the biggest church in the world, and it's not about numbers, but a powerful church, a praying church. They have people that pray literally, you know, hours a day. He does prays three hours a day, all day on Saturday. They have these little prayer cubby holes in the mountains, and next to his church, where he, you if you look at it, there's a little sh- there's some shoes, and if you go in these little uh, caves, almost there's like a table, a chair, and like a, a pitcher of water, where people go in there and just pray all day. And so here he is, has this big. Power Powerful ministry is just exploding. And they ask him, Dr. Cho, how did you do it? Man of God, mighty leader. How did, how did you grow a big church like? You know what his answer was? He said, I pray and I obey. That was his formula. I pray and I obey. Just told just, and I look, we know Pastor Larry, you know, he knows this guy there. They're on the same international missions board and he knows him. He said, man, one of the most humble people, you know, but you see the, you see the uh, equation there. These men that are humble, that refuse to take any glory, that the further they go, the more they seem to get humble are some of the most powerful men that we know. Amen? Greater grace will receive, greater power if we humble ourselves. Amen? So in closing... If you are wondering what God wants from you again, maybe or what pleases Him or what required, maybe you grew up, like I said, in a home, in a church, a school, something that taught you different ways of more re- like a, a ritualistic thing, a, of, of of a mechanical, you know, do this, don't do that, do you know? This is what the Lord's laid out. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, listen, you can't please the Lord. Or do what he wants you to do unless you're in a relationship with him. Again, this is not a this is not a a religious act that you can do from a distance from the Lord. This has to be in, in covenant relationship with him. Again, just like our marriages, it's it's, it's hard to, to be close in covenant relationship with your spouse if you're out of town all the time, right? Those of you guys that maybe work out of town and stuff, you know, the, when people work out of town, it puts a strain on the marriage on the family. It, the, the, the more intimate and closely that you walk with the Lord, the better it's going to be. So some of y'all, remember, walk means an ongoing intimate relationship. Some of you today, maybe you haven't even started in that walk with the Lord. Maybe you say, Brandon, I've been coming to church. I've gone to church for years, but I don't know if I've, I've, you know, all these three things I struggle with on a daily basis, and I don't even know if, if, if I'm right with the Lord, if I'm in relationship with him. Listen, it starts with humility. You know, it's pride that keeps a lot of people from coming to the Lord. Like I know for me, for years, I didn't come to the Lord because of pride. And because I hear people say, well, religion's for weak-minded people and going to church is for ladies and all this kind of stuff. And that kept me for a while to accept what James is talking about here in James chapter one. And I'll I'll finish up with this scripture as we turn the corner. James chapter one, 21 says this. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. So as we're talking about walking humbly with your God, we must first humble ourselves to accept the word of God, to accept the gospel, to say, hey, listen, all of us has some form or has, have, will have some form of filth or evil. I know that's very blatant, but that's what James said, right? Again, you might think, well, I'm, I'm not an evil person. Well, compared to others, maybe not, but compared to God, we all are. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, and we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I know I've done evil, and Lord, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I want to accept this free gift of the gospel, which is that, again, God in his mercy, instead of giving us the punishment we deserve, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take our place, and he extended mercy to us if we would ask him to forgive us of our sins. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me? Every person, no matter who you are, as James said, your soul needs to be saved we 've all born into a lost, sinful world, and we need the provision of the Lord. So with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, you say brandon i I, I struggle with doing the right thing I, I I struggle with extending mercy towards people Lord." <laughs> Tell the Lord, Lord, I need your help. I want to walk with you. I don't know if I've ever walked with the Lord, if I've ever been in a relationship. I feel like there's some filth in my life. I feel like there's some, there's some evil still lurking in there from either willful sin or just maybe ignorance. And, and you say, Brandon, I want to humble myself today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, as James said, humbly accept the word of God. Humbly accept the gospel that apart from Christ, you can't make it on your own. In this life, are in the life to come. Y'all, when we die, it's heaven or hell. There's no in between. But Jesus made a way that we can spend eternity with him. So if that's you and you say, Brandon, you know, I feel like I have some stuff that I need to be forgiven of. I I need to be cleansed of. I don't know if I'm right with the Lord, but I want to be saved. I don't know if I'm saved. I'm not sure. And I want my soul to be saved. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hands up to the Lord. Just lift your hand. I see your hand right here, young man. Anybody else? I see a hand right here. In the back. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I see your hand right here, young lady. Anyone else? Thank you, Father. Come on, the Lord wants to cleanse you of all that stuff today. He wants to forgive you. Come on, we're going to wait on you. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand over here, ma'am. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, come on, let's all humble ourselves right now. We're going to pray together and ask the Lord to forgive us and accept the gospel. Let's pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, I ask that you save me today. I pray you cleanse me from all evil, from all wickedness. Lord, wash me, make me whole today. Lord, I need your healing. I need your grace in my life. Now, Lord Jesus, give me the strength and give me the grace to live for you. To walk with you, all the days of my life, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen, and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise today. Yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Eternities have been have been changed this morning. Hey, listen. If you raised your hand, uh, or, or maybe you didn't, and you prayed this prayer for the first time, there's there's a, a, a card with a green uh, uh, heading on the front that says, I made a decision. It's in the pew right in front of you. If you would do me a favor and you would just take a couple of seconds to fill out this card and you can either one, you can drop it off at the info center on your way out or you can give it to one of us here at the altar uh, after we close out. Uh, We want to just get some information from you. We want to pray for you. We have a Bible for you. If you don't have a Bible, again, we talked about the Word of God. We need the Word of God every day in our lives. We also have some other information to help you get started on this walk, right? It's a walk with the Lord. It's a relationship and listen, We're all in the same family, so we want to help you. We want to come in relationship with you to help you with your relationship with the Lord. Amen? For the rest of us, come on, let's pray as we close and just pray that the Lord, that we we continue, that the Lord gives us the greater grace to do what he requires of us. Amen? I know I need help. What about you? Father, we, we recognize and we see it clearly in your word what you require of us, what pleases you. And it's to do what's right. It's to love mercy and to walk humbly with you. Father, help us to always, Lord God, live in doing and desire to do what's right. To love justice, to promote justice. Help us, Lord, to love mercy, to extend passionate, undeserving loyalty to our brothers and sisters, to our spouses, to our children, to our friends and family, Lord God. To those, Lord God, that don't deserve it, that we would be merciful. Because, Lord, you've been merciful to us. Lord, and we want to be merciful to others, and we know we need mercy. And, Lord, help us to be humble. We humble ourselves before you. Lord, those of us that are here, hands raised, hearts bowed, we humbly say we need you. Lord, we cannot do this on our own, nor do we want to. We want to walk in an ongoing intimate relationship with you each and every day. I pray that you give us the strength, the perseverance, and the stamina to do this each and every day. Father, now I pray your blessing to be upon every single person here and their families. Watch over them as they go. Be with them, Lord, every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.